In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. It's so good to see you, faithful masked people in the pews. And it's so good to be with you, faithful watching on the virtual world. I know this is hard. It's very hard when we had hope that we could go back to being without masks and seeing each other's faces. It's hard to backtrack. It feels like backtracking. I know that. And I'm so grateful for you who are here in your many ways. Uh, Take strength and tenacity in this time. I know I love to walk through these doors, and the first time I walked through these doors was 25 years ago. I had only finished one year of seminary at Yale, and I did an internship here at this cathedral. The dean at the time, Gus Weltzek, wasn't quite sure what to do with a seminarian. He hadn't had one before. So I sort of made things up as I went along, and one of the things that I did to get credit in seminary was I sat at a desk in what was the library on the second floor of Cathedral House, which has now become the music suite. So I was where you guys are, the choir. And I sat up there, and every day for a few hours, I translated the Gospel of John from the Greek into the English. I gained a lot of respect for that beautiful gospel. In fact, I realized that the gospel of John is more like a poem than it is a novel. John is so careful in how he designs everything. It's very different from the first three gospels in that way. It's not supposed to be just a comprehensive story of Jesus' life. Rather, it's these selected pieces all woven together into a beautiful tapestry. In the Gospel of John, Jesus does seven signs or seven miracles. The number seven was considered a holy number, a jubilee number, they called it. He does seven signs, and after each sign... He has a saying. He talks. And in each talk, he always begins with these words, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. I am the bread of life. You know, the name for God, Yahweh, is I am. So Jesus does these miracles, and then he tries to reveal himself to us. He tries to explain, using these words that are metaphors, images, deep truths that are supposed to resound like poetry through our lives. But one of the problems with many of these images is that they mean something different today than they meant back in Jesus' time. So three weeks ago in the gospel, Jesus multiplied loaves and fishes. There were five barley loaves and two fish that a little boy had. And there was a whole crowd of people that were hungry. 
And multiplying that little gift, Jesus feeds all of them with lots of extras left over that they gather up in baskets. Bread in Jesus' time meant something different than it does today. Today, we take bread for granted. In fact, we have all kinds of bread. We have, oh, pita bread, and we have Kaiser rolls, and we have pizza dough, and we have hamburger buns, and we have rye, and we have white, and we have wheat. And we don't care about bread. We throw it away to the docks. We throw it in the trash. We Actually, most of us don't even want to eat it anymore because of all the carbs, right? I know as a middle-aged woman, I'm becoming more respectful of the carbs. In Jesus' day, there were only two kinds of bread. There was the bread of the poor, which was the barley loaves that you hear about that that little boy had. It was a coarse kind of bread, made in circles usually, dense, not finely ground. And then the rich would have a finely ground wheat that would make a more beautiful, thinner kind of bread. But bread in Jesus' day was life because people were hungry. People were on the verge of starving. When Jesus taught us the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, it means nothing to us. We know we're going to get our daily bread. I can get my daily burrito for all I care. Whoops. Well, that was an emphasis. But back in Jesus' day, people did not necessarily know if they were going to eat. You had to till the ground. You had to fish for your fish. You couldn't guarantee that you were going to have a meal at all. So give us this day our daily bread was an essential prayer. Help me to survive because people were starving. Here in America, people get hungry. There is food insecurity, but there is not starvation. You don't see emaciated people on the street. Not even our homeless are emaciated. Today, we don't know what hunger looks like. Not physical hunger. But I would say that today we're starving in different ways. When 9-11 happened, Yakimoto Kishima was in a subway. He was on a train on his way to the World Trade Center. The train stopped underground and they didn't know why. They were trapped underground for hours and eventually they tried to reverse and go backwards. He was in the midst of a busy day and Yakimoto was an artist, very successful artist in New York. He was making a lot of money, he was enjoying society. But in that moment, he realized that although his life was full of beautiful things and full of wealth and full of friends even, yet there was a part of his life that was empty. And he didn't realize that until 9-11, until being trapped underground. In that moment, he thought, my life is empty. I haven't been living for other people. I've been 
consumed with my busyness and my success and the praise that I get from others and I I don't want to die. I'm not ready. I, I haven't given my life away. I need meaning. I need purpose. His whole life was reoriented in those few hours. A life that he thought was full to the brim was actually quite empty. And he was starving amidst all of his stuff. In 1987, Terry Waite was working for the Archbishop of Canterbury and he was sent to Lebanon to do a peace talk with the Hezbollah. Many of you have heard his story. He was taken captive and held hostage in Lebanon for five years. 1,762 days of that time, he was in total solitary confinement. Most of the time, he was chained to a radiator. He would be beaten. He was fed, but he was left totally alone. You would think that someone in that situation would go mad. But Terry Waite knew how to nourish himself spiritually. He had resources that had been given to him by the church. He knew the Eucharistic liturgy that we do at this table. He knew every word by heart. And every day, to mark the passing of the day, he would slowly say all the prayers from the beginning of the Eucharist to the very end. And he would picture himself kneeling in his pew, and he would picture himself singing the hymns, and he would picture himself coming up for the bread and the wine, and the Eucharistic service anchored him in reality and helped him from going insane. And he knew that Jesus was with him, and he said later on after he was released, I knew that I could not afford to feel sorry for myself, and I knew that I could not afford to get self-absorbed. I had to think to myself, if I survive, how can I give my wisdom away? He tried to write a book in his mind, a book that he could later give to the world about what he was learning in that time alone. And so Terry Waite, who was starved for company, and starve for movement, and starve for light. He didn't get to go outside for five years. He couldn't see the sunlight, or the trees, or the wind. And yet, he had this spiritual resource that kept him alive. We don't need the bread of life as physical bread these days. You, you can get your food. In fact, most of us in the pandemic, we've eaten too much, haven't we? I know I've gained a good 10 pounds watching TV and eating unconsciously. But what we do need is we need spiritual food. I think we're starving for a few things. I know myself, I'm, I'm hungry to see you. 
I'm hungry to look at people face to face. I'm hungry for structure in my day. And I'm hungry to give myself away. I, I find myself drowning in myself. Do you know what I mean? In this day and age, we're so consumed with, are we okay? Are we healthy? Are we? So much self-help, so much media, so many words. We're starved for giving of ourselves for human contact, for structured engagement with God, which is why it's so essential that you are here, whether you're at home or in the pew, that we continue to practice our faith, believing that this bread of life will nourish us through this time because in our own way, you and I are in a kind of solitary confinement, not totally, but partially. And we are malnourished. We need our community. And so my friends, it is my hope and prayer that in this time of scarcity, we will fill ourselves with the practices of the faith by praying daily, by attending worship, by giving of ourselves in whatever way we can. I want you to look around and think, who am I not seeing today in the pew? And if I know a friend who's not here, could I call them? Ask them how they're doing? The pandemic causes us to withdraw and we need to fight that instinct. We need to reach out. Ask about someone else. Give of your time. Buy groceries for the hungry. Give of your resources. Ironically, when we feed others, we are fed. And when we become absorbed in only taking care of ourselves, we drown in our own egos. Stay faithful, my friends, to the practices of the faith in this time. It will come to an end. I know it seems like it's going on and on. But just like Terry Waite got out, we will too, into a new world, wiser, stronger, hopefully continued to be nourished by this bread of life, this great mystery that is Christ, that can feed us in ways that nothing else can feed our very souls. Amen.